Now we can start. Okay. A new king who did not know of Joseph came to power in Egypt. He said to his people, the Israelites are becoming too numerous and strong for us. We must deal wisely with them. Otherwise, they may increase so much that if there's war, they will join our enemies and fight against us, driving us from the land. Yeah, they will, they will join the enemy and they will drive us out of the land. Basically, they will from inside. You ever, you ever heard about the concept, the fifth column? Yes. Okay, Steve, give him an education. What's the fifth column means? It's, it's an underground movement that's uh, that's going to be ultimately against the government because they don't like what's going on. From inside, from inside. inside. They will join the enemy who will attack from outside, from inside, against the, the government itself. Except, Rabbi, there's like an that. expression here. It says, the new king who did not know of Joseph. But, yeah. It's the new king who did not know of Joseph. That, that means to me that, that they had no educational system where he's just denying the fact that he knew. No, 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 no. The king who came from, it was an outsider. And from his point of view, Joseph didn't exist. He didn't, couldn't care less. He didn't like the Jews. He didn't want to remember what Joseph did for Egypt. Yeah. As usual, as we experience these things many times. So he did not know from Joseph instead of that old Joseph. He did not want to know Joseph. Right, that's right. Okay, thank you. I remember uh, when I was a kid, uh, Mayor Kahani came to Taylor Road Synagogue and made a speech. Yeah. Money for his, you know, he was running for office in Israel. Um, and his message was the same thing about the Arabs in Israel. If we don't do something, they're going to become more than us. They're going to take over. Da, 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 da. The same thing. Yeah. The same thing is in many places. Who invented the expression fifth column, Steve? I don't know. I thought you will know that. I think it's coming from the from some one of the walls that it was. I don't remember. It's coming from somewhere. Fifth column. In Israel, it's a very common expression. In any case, here we seem to use the expression of the fifth state, you know, which is what's been in the news of the last. Oh, the deep state, no. The fifth state, the deep state, the dog, same concept. Uh -huh. Okay, um, continue. Um, uh, the Egyptians appointed conscription officers over the Israelites to crush their spirits with hard labor. The Israelites were to build up the cities of Pithom and Ramses as supply centers for Pharaoh. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites proliferated and spread. The Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians started to make the Israelites do labor designated to break their bodies. They made the lives of the Israelites miserable with harsh labor involving mortar and bricks, as well as kinds of work in the field. All the work they made them do was intended to break them. Basically, it was the final solution. How to get rid of the Jews? We are afraid of them. We have to, we have to shrink them. We have to get rid of them. Let's make them work very hard. Let's separate men from women. And then comes the ultimate idea. Okay, Steve, you want to continue? Sure. Uh, Pharaoh then gave orders to all his people. Every boy who was born must be cast into the Nile, but every girl should be allowed to live. Yeah. He came up with the idea, we'll throw out all the boys to the river, and we will, and we, and we will, uh, and we will save the girls. The girls will raise our way. The boys will, will be gone and finished. They didn't know that when Judaism, it goes after the mother, and even if you kill all the boys, the Jewish people will continue as long as Jewish girls. 
then, uh, but they, from their point of view, in the rest of the world, it goes after the father, the religion, everything. They'll kill all the boys and finish. Who came up with this idea, killing all the boys? Here comes a very interesting Talmudic story. Probably some of our favorites. But <laughs> go ahead. Pharaoh, you want me to go? Go ahead, go. Pharaoh consulted with three people as to what should be done with the Israelites. Bilaam, Job, and Jethro. Bilaam, who advised to enslave the Israelites and kill all sons born to them, was later killed. Job, who remained silent, was punished by suffering. Jethro, who fled, merited that his children's children served in the high court in the temple. Three advisors, a pharaoh made a meeting, like the Wanzam meeting, it was in Germany. What are you going to do with the Jews? Three big advisors that we know them from the Bible, Bilam, Job, and Jethro. Bilam said, kill them, torture them, get rid of them. Jethro, I mean, Job said nothing. He didn't say this way, he didn't say the other way. And, and Jethro didn't accept it. Jethro told them, anybody who touches the Jewish people touches the pupil of the eye of God. You know, when you now, uh, Pharaoh obviously accepted the advice of Bilam, and anybody who disagrees with, 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 with the king in, a, in, in dictate, dictatorship is a head shorter in a very short time. <laughs> then uh, Jethro had to run away if he wanted to be alive. He ran away to Midian. That's how Jethro, Jethro was an advisor for the king of Egypt to end up in Midian. Then the Gemara says, Bilam who said that who gave the advice to kill the Jews was later killed by Jews, as we're going to learn in a minute. Job, who didn't say anything, didn't stand up for the right thing, suffer, got a lot of suffering. And Jethro that stood up for the Jews and run away, his great-grandchildren were later in the, from the Sanhedrin, from the Jewish Supreme Court. He was uh, Moshe's father-in-law, wasn't he? Moshe's father-in-law and, and Pincha and uh, Lazar's father-in-law. He had a very nice di Jewish dynasty. Yeah. And he wasn't even Jewish. The, the court That's the point. Yeah. <laughs> That's the point. Okay. Um, Barry, you want to continue no, uh, source number three? Who is Bila? Then we're going to go by one by one by one. Who is Bila? An evil prophet. Barry? The verse states, and no prophet arose in Israel like Moses. This intimates that there was indeed a prophet like him among the nations. Who? Bilaam, son of Beor. They said there was never, when Moses died, it's written in the Torah, never stood up, never was a, a rose in the Jewish people, a prophet like Moses. Never. No prophet after him, no one before him. In the, by the Jewish people, the, the Talmud points out, the Medrash points out, but by, by the nations of the world, we had somebody like Moses. Bilam, that's how great Bilam was. As great as Moses, why God made Bilam as great as Moses? What do you think? Equal for equal, balance. For free, for free choice, it has to be the same way. It has to be a great prophet by the Jews, a great prophet by the Gentiles. And, and the Jews and the Gentiles can choose to be good or to be bad. Because if the Gentiles would never had a great, a great, a great prophet like Bilam, they would complain to God, that's not fair. You give the Jews such great prophet. There is no surprise why they are so good. Give it to us, we would also be good. God said, here is, you get it. 
not only Bilam did not make the Jewish, the, the Gentiles, these nations, Midian and the all nations where he was living there, better people, he made them worse people. Yeah. He encouraged them to go out and seduce the Jewish boys. Basically, he, 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 he taught them, he legitimized them uh, to, uh, to be to uh, prostitution. That's what he legitimized. For the sake of getting in the Jewish kids and the Jewish boys in trouble. Okay, we'll continue with uh, source number four. Um, Oleg, you want to continue? God spoke to Moses saying, take revenge for Israelites against the Midianites. Demanded surprise attack against Midian as God had commanded Moses and killed all the adults male. They also killed Bilam, son of Beor, by the sword. And here we see later in the book of Genesis, in the book of uh, um, Numbers, it's written that, the, that Moses, that the Jewish people killed Bilam. Why they killed Bilam? Because he was, uh, he, he, because he, he, it's a reward for, that's what the Talmud said before, because he gave the idea to kill the Jews, the babies, that's why he, he ended up to be killed. Now we're going to learn about who Job is. Leslie, you want to read? One day, wait, you moved it. One day, as his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the house of their eldest brother, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the she-asses were grazing alongside them when Sabines, Sabines attacked them and carried them off and put the boys to the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. As he spoke, another came and said, God's fire fell from heaven, took hold of the sheep and the boys and burned them up. I alone have escaped to tell you. Well, basically, it's a little quote of, of the suffering that, that Job uh, experienced in life. And that's what the Talmud says. It was because he was stood silent and he didn't stood up for the Jews. And Barry Gavin started to learn the book of Job. I told him he should look for some better books, some more optimistic books in the <laughs> Bible, not to start for Job. <laughs> Job, you live for Tishabov, and you are when you're supposed to cry for all your sorrows and you want to be depressed, go ahead, learn, learn Job in a good Sunday morning. But here is just a quote what Job suffered for not standing up for the Jewish people. Um, here is he wants to say to show. Mm, one second. Uh -huh. This should be before that. One second, one second, one second, one second, one second. One second. Okay, this is also to show how Jethro was connected to the, to the Jewish people. Now it's about Jethro. We learned about uh, Bilam. We learned about Job. Now we're learning about Jethro. Who was Jethro? Um, Wendy, you, you want to continue? Read this source number six. Rabbi Levy said, that staff which was created in the twilight before the first Shabbat was delivered to Adam. Adam delivered it to Enoch, Enoch to Noah, Noah to Shem, Shem to Abraham, Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob, and Jacob brought it down into Egypt and passed it on to his son Joseph. When Joseph died and they pillaged his household goods, it was placed in the palace of Pharaoh. 
Jethro was one of the magicians of Egypt and he saw the staff and the letters which were upon it and he desired in his heart and he took it and planted it in the midst of his garden. No one was able to pull it out. Continue. When Moses came to his house, he went into the garden and saw the staff and read the letters on it. And he put forth his hand and took it. Jethro watched Moses and said, he will redeem Israel from Egypt. Therefore, he gave him Zipporah, his daughter, to wife. It's an amazing story. It's amazing medrash. The medrash is from Yepikid Rabbi Lezer. It says that the staff that Moses made all the miracles, where it's coming from? It says it was created by God. And it went on generation to generation all the way to Joseph. Joseph, when Joseph died, the Egyptian cleaned up the house. It says it, it belongs to the king. It was like a government a, a institution. It's not anybody's private thing. And Jethro took it. Nobody needed it. Jethro took it. And Jethro took it in his house, in, in, in his backyard in, in Midian. And he was never able to pull it out. And then when Moses came and pulled it out, Jethro said, ah, this guy is the real thing. What just tells you? Go ahead. It's like the sword and the stone, the sword of the Merlin and King Arthur. I don't know the stories of King Arthur. <laughs> yeah. uh, Excalibur. Excalibur. Yeah, it could be, could be. But there is many stories in this kind of, uh, in the secular history was similar to stories from the Bible and from the Talmud. Yeah. The difference is that this is real. <laughs> right. Um, okay, now we're going to discuss the story about the meeting of the three advisors. We learned about the three, the background, about little background about the three advisors, Bilam, Jethro, and Jethro later became an advisor to Moses. He gave Moses, when he came to the desert, he told Moses, Moses, you know, you cannot do it yourself. You have to appoint many judges to help, to help you with the job, you have to delegate. Then we see that uh, Bilam gave advice to, to Midian, how to seduce the Jewish boys, how to get the Jewish kids in trouble. Jethro gave advice to the Jewish people. When you see they were advisors, advi they were advisors. That's what I mean to say. That's, that's what the Talmud tells the story. Now we'll take the story itself and the Rebbe is analyzing what happened here. Um, Rab, we are back to you. Talmud relates in the tractate Sota, Pharaoh consulted with three people as to what should be done with the Israelites, Bilam, Job, and Jethro. Bilam, who advised to enslave the Israelites and kill all sons born to them, was later killed. Job, who remained silent, was punished by suffering. Jethro, who fled, merited that his children's children serve in the high court in the temple. The heavenly consequences for each of the three attitudes, Bilam's suggestion, Job's silence, and Jethro's escape, raises questions. Bilam advised to enslave the Israelites and kill all sons born to them and was later killed. Bilam served as an advisor to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Thus, it was his moral obligation to advise Pharaoh with Egypt's best interests in mind. The negative impact his suggestion would have on the Israelites should not be his concern. Pharaoh did not ask for his advice in benefiting the Israelites. To the contrary, Pharaoh was concerned about the high Israelite birth rate and the potential crisis it would bring. It was therefore Bilam's obligation to devise a plan that would counter the threat. If he was fulfilling his duty as an advisor to Pharaoh, the question arises, why did he deserve such a severe punishment? Why was he punished altogether? 
it's a little bit a question kind from the point of view of Bilam. You understand? Not from the point of view of morality of the Jewish people, why he killed them. It's the excuse that the Germans used for we just follow orders. Bilam was an advisor to Pharaoh. If he's loyal to Pharaoh and Pharaoh is paying him, so to speak, he has to give the best advice to Pharaoh. From Pharaoh's point of view, that's the best advice. If Pharaoh is afraid that the Jewish people will turn into a fifth column and, and go against the nation, against the people, then that's what, he's, that's what his obligation to do, so to speak. Then why is Bilam punished? That's the question. Um, Steve, you want to continue? Yeah, um, to the contrary, Bilam deserves medal. He faithfully and fearlessly discharged his duty to counsel Egypt. We should not forget that Bilam was a prophet. The Torah says that he knew God's will and had visions of prophecy comparable to the prophecies of Moses, the greatest prophet of all time. He surely understood the risk factor involved with harming the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Nevertheless, he fulfilled his obligation as Pharaoh's advisor and advised him in Egypt's best interest in mind. Yet the Talmud is highly critical of his decision and says that he was punished with death. How does this square with Torah's aim of truth and justice? So to speak, he was supposed to do his job. He knew he's going to be, it's, it's against God, but he, he, he's a, as, a, as an advisor to Pharaoh, from his point of view, he did the right thing. Why should he be punished? Well, I have a question, Rabbi. Yeah. If he had prophecy, at, at, at the like of Moses, well, he would know that doing what he was doing ultimately would harm Egypt. Oh, that's the answer. We'll get to it. Okay, sorry. The Rebbe was talking about, it was a whole, at that time, that was, it was, the Rebbe referred that to, it was uh, in Israel, in the Israeli parliament was a whole argument about who is a Jew, the law of who is a Jew. And the Rebbe was speaking about the guys who are giving bad advice just because they want, they say, I did the right thing, or the people are silent and then some bad weddings, that the Rebbe wanted to bring the story and point out what, a lesson from it. You understand what I'm saying? But that's the idea. Barry, go ahead. We can pose the same question about Job, who remained silent and was punished with suffering. Job clearly did not want to harm the Israelites. However, fearing Pharaoh's wrath, he chose to remain silent. Why does he deserve to be punished? He did not cause the Israelites any harm. On the other side of the coin, if the Talmud is critical of Job, it should have put it differently. Pharaoh consulted with three advisors. It is highly plausible that he would have followed the majority opinion. Thus had Job sided with Jethro, who spoke well of the Israelites and had to subsequently flee Pharaoh's wrath, Pharaoh would have followed their advice and abolished the decree against the Israelites. Since, <clears throat> since Job remained silent, the two opinions of Bilam and Jethro remained equal and Pharaoh made his own decision. Our criticism of Job should be not that he remained silent, but that he didn't speak positively of the Israelites and seek to abolish Pharaoh's decree. Yet the Talmud chooses to say he remained silent. Instead of criticizing him for not defending the Israelites, he criticizes him for his silence, although his former seems to be more damning. Yeah, we, we, it looks like the Talmud is upset. Take a, take a stand. You want to take a stand against the Jews? Go ahead. But don't be silent. 
what it's called in, in, in America, when you are, when you are uh, you're not on this side, you're not on the other side, in Kansas or something like this? You abstain. On the fence. You abstain. Yeah. Then the, looks like the, the Talmud is angry, is upset with him that he was he abstained. He should, the Talmud should criticize him why you didn't take a side, a side, the side of, of Jethro and maybe jo, uh, Pharaoh would go by the majority and he would save the Jewish people. We don't tell him that. We say, how do you work quiet? What's right behind this? Obviously, there is a message. Oleg, you want to continue? The explanation. Yeah, the explanation. Bilam's Bilam greatest mistakes, failing to speak his mind. Bilam was punished because he advised, uh, his advice was harmful, not to Israelites, but to the Egypt. Harming the Israelites was not in Egypt's best interest because anyone who causes harm to the people of Israel causes harm to the uh, people of God's eye. See, that's what that's what the Steve said before. Because he was an honest advisor, he had to look for the good of Egypt. Yeah, but for the good of Egypt, is it not good to destroy the Jewish people? Not just for the good of the Jews, it's not good. For the good of the of the of Egypt, for the Gentiles, it's not good that they kill the Jewish people. That if he was a true advisor, not a guy who's trying to please Pharaoh. If he was a true advisor, he had to say the truth. He said to tell Pharaoh, I want to tell you something. I'm a prophet, and I know what God, God that the Jewish people, this quote, anyone who causes the harm to the to people of Israel, cause harm to the people of God's eye is a quote from the Talmud. I think that Bilam said in a seance, when there is a whole story in the Talmud about uh, Titus, the uh, Titus nephew, Unculus, you know, there is Unculus, the, 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 the convert. Unculus is a guy who translated the old Torah, Torah make. The, the Talmud says he was Titus nephew, that he wanted to know Titus was fighting the Jewish people to the nail and killed and everything. He wanted to know what is right? Who is right in the in, by God? Who is the, the true nation? He brought out, he brought out three people, the Talmud says three people by science. One was Bilom. He asked Bilom, who is great? Uh, who is great by uh, in heaven? He says the Jews. He said, what should I do for them? He says, kill them and give them uh, give them Tzores because anybody who gives Tzores to the Jewish people becomes a big macha. That's what he told them. Then he came, uh, then he brought down, uh, was it the other one? Three people. Um, then it was, he brought down in a second, I'll, uh, and then he brought down also Jesus. He asked Jesus, who is, who is in the top, who is in heaven, who is uh, important? He told them, the Jewish people. He said, what should I, what should I do? He said, anybody who touches them, touches the people of die. It's a verse from the Bible, from the book of, um, I'll tell you in a minute. Jesus said that? Yeah. Well, he's and, the in the Talmud, and the Talmud points out, after all, a Jewish boy. <laughs> That's exactly what the Talmud also points out. After <laughs> all, a Jewish boy. <laughs> That's from the book of Zechariah, this quote. In any case, continue, hey, Oleg, please. In other words, in other words um, our criticism of Bilam is not for 
proposing to harm the Israelites. Elam would have had a ready defense. In my capacity as Pharaoh's advisor, I was committed to Egypt's well-being. Our criticism of Bilan is that his suggestions to Pharaoh was against Egypt's best interest. A regular person could not have been any wiser than Pharaoh, but Bilam was a prophet and knew God's will, so he should have told Pharaoh outright, you are correcting your assumption that the Jewish birth rate might be dangerous, but harming them is even more dangerous because you would be causing harm to the people of God's eye. Yeah, Being he basically, he, had, he told them, what he's saying here is, he had to look for the, he had to see what's the best interest for Egypt. You see, we Jewish, you see in Jewish history, every country that tore the Jews out, went down, if it's Egypt, if it was later, if it, until now, I mean, 500 years ago, Spain, Rome, Greek, Greece, any country, Germany, any country, the, uh, Russia, any country who, who forced the Jews basically, or by Soros, or by forcing them out, went down. England, and, and this is this is what it's not for the best interest of their country, and Bilam knew it. That's why he had to do it. He had to give the, the right advice for before uh, this. Go ahead. Being committed to Egypt's well-being as Pharaoh advisor should have told him <clears throat> the full truth. He should have done so even if it wasn't what Pharaoh wanted uh, to hear. And even though he wouldn't be subsequently forced to flee to save his life for opposing the wishes of Pharaoh. So yeah, yeah. this so is the criticism of Bilam. He was so intimidated by Pharaoh that he failed to recognize the truth and instead tried to please his master, telling him what he wanted to hear and what he thought was actual, actually in, and, in and Egypt, what he actually. thought he was actually in Egypt's best interest when it was in fact profoundly destructive to Egypt, Pharaoh and his army. Then basically, um, Jethro is, I mean, Bilam is criticized for being a yes man. He knew what the right thing to do, not just for the Jewish people, for the good of the world, for the good of Pharaoh, for the good, look what happened later to Egypt. Egypt was destroyed completely. And he knew it because he was a prophet and he knew who respects that God loves the Jewish people like the people of his eye. And he still didn't do it. That's a criticizing, a criticism, a criticism to, 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 to Bila. Basically, even the, yes, the, the people in Germany, so to speak, it wasn't good for, for Germany, it wasn't good to do such things. Not just for the Jewish people, for their own good. Look what happened to him because of the war. They were completely destroyed. And that means to say, if you're honest, you have to say the truth. Even if you, even if you, uh, if you will pay, you have to run away. Now we'll go to Job's mistake. What was Job's mistake? Um, Leslie, you want to read, please? Sure. Um, the great mistake, trying to please everyone. The criticism about Job is similar. The task of an advisor is to give an opinion, whether it is popular or not. If you are committed to your duty as an advisor, you take a side. It, irres, 
irrespective of the attractiveness of your opinion. Now, some people prefer to please everyone, but that is not always possible. When one side says, throw the newborns into the river, and the other side says, don't touch the pupil of God's eye, there is no middle ground with which to please both. In that instance, he chooses to offer no opinion at all. Thus, he will be able to comfortably approach both sides and say, consider me your good friend. I said nothing against you. Job is comfortable with the Talmud's account of his silence. Now he cannot be accused of Bilam of contradicting him, nor can he be accused of Moses, accused by Moses. He said nothing that would harm the Jewish people. He dances on both weddings. He's good with everybody. I was not against you. I was not against you. You know, we know what the problem with this, you know, in today's society, everybody yeah. says, as it wasn't, it, you know, the expression, it wasn't my place to say something. Hmm. And I, this I learned in America. The Israelis, they feel every time it's their place to say something. Yeah. But it's maybe a little too much in Israel, but I'll tell you the truth. It's better than, it's not my place to say something. You see people do terrible things and everybody's silent. How you think, how think, how you think bad behavior being, is being legitimized? One time somebody's doing it public and everybody says it wasn't my place, then a second time, then a third time. And that's how it becomes legitimized. What do you mean you, it wasn't your place? You see Mr. A beating up Mr. B, you say nothing or insulting another person, you don't stand up for him, what is this? You know, it wasn't my place. I didn't, I didn't want to insult them. Somebody comes with, 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 with a piece of potato on his nose. Nobody says anything. I didn't want to embarrass them. I didn't want to make it. Now you make it worse. You'll go around the whole party with something on his nose and nobody will tell them anything. Continue. Thus, although we can justify, justifiably criticize Job for not having supported the Israelites, potentially abolishing the decree or at least removing any blame from himself. There is a much stronger charge. How could he remain silent? If you were, by divine providence, appointed as an advisor, you need to find the strength to convey your opinion. If you don't have that strength, resign and head home. Therefore, the Torah of truth views Job's silence as worse than his lack of interest in the plight of the Israelites. In a certain sense, it is worse than misguidedly advising Pharaoh to harm the Israelites. Anything is better than a policy of pleasing everyone. Job understood that drowning the Jewish newborns would harm the Israelites and harm Egypt as well. And he still remained silent, irrespective of his duties as senior advisor to the king and one of the three individuals to whom the question was posed. Even if he wouldn't have said wouldn't have been one of the three, the obligation would rest on him to protest. Yet he would take pride in his decision to remain silent because it allows him to profess good terms with Bilaam and Moses in unison. This, the Talmud says, is worse than ignoring the Israelites' plight. See, the problem is that he, that he didn't stand up he didn't take a. He didn't take a. He, he didn't take a side. He didn't say, say his opinion. You know they're going to kill the Jewish people, the Jewish boys. You know it's going to harm the Jews and the Egyptians, and you say nothing. 
No, I'm, I want to be. I want to be happy. In the, I want to be uh, in peace with everybody. Oh, I'm a nice guy. I don't want to be the bad guy. I don't. Then not taking a stand is more than everything. And therefore, to a point, no matter who is, uh, you know, demonstrating on the street from which side it is, at least they take a stand. I, I don't care. They care. People don't. You know, the silent majority is worthless. See, the silent majority in Germany didn't have the situation, right? Even they were, maybe they were against it, but they said nothing. You said nothing, you're not counted. If to stand up, if to make, take, a, take, take a stand, that's what, that's what really the message is, yeah. Okay, Wendy, continue. Why didn't Jacob learn a lesson? I think it's a Jethro. It's a, not Jacob, it's a mistake. What was Jethro's calculation? Go ahead. Now let's take a look at Jethro. Jethro is mentioned in the third of the Talmud's account after Bilaam, who suggested to drown the newborns, and Job, who remained silent. At that point, Jethro understood that he wouldn't be a tiebreaker. At most, there would be two equally supported opinions, Jethro versus Bilaam. No doubt Jethro knew Pharaoh's personal preference. After all, he fled after conveying his opinion. With that in mind, his choice to oppose Bilam seems irrational. <clears throat> if he knew that his opinion would not sway Pharaoh, perhaps it would have been better that he remained silent regardless of his personal opinion. He could have thereby remained Pharaoh's advisor and retained the ability to aid the Israelites in other matters. Pharaoh indeed commanded the killing of all boys, but girls were to be kept alive. Had Jethro remained among Pharaoh's close circle of advisors, he could have ensured the spiritual well-being of the girls in keeping kosher, Jewish education, and so on. But because he opposed the proposed killing, he was forced to flee, leaving the Israelites helplessly in Pharaoh's hands. How is that beneficial to the Israelites? You know, this is many times people have this logic. If I'll stay inside, I will be able to help. I, if, I, if I leave, but I, 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 I lose all power. You're right, this guy's a bad guy. But maybe I will, I will be silent. Anyway, I cannot change his mind. Anyway, there is, Bilan gives him this advice. Job say, is saying it. there is no majority. I cannot do anything. I better stay inside and help from inside to the Jewish people. What if I'm going, I'm going to stand up, say the truth, and have to run away? What I accomplished? That's the logic of many times. I think somebody just came out from the from the uh, from the administration who worked in the in the in um, and I think under Bar or under one of the 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 the, the law departments, and he said that she said that she was joining the government, that she thought she came out from inside, and now she said she made a mistake. I can't say a whole story. In any case, then this is the logic that many times people use as an explanation why they didn't stand up against because they felt that from inside they can help more. You may argue, continue. You may argue, how could Jethro possibly agree in good faith to Pharaoh's plan to drown the boys? But did he really have any better option? He should have at least remained to seek out the welfare of the girls, to save the girls and their parents. This would also allow him to protect them from slave labor and tend to their needs in general. Seeing no possibility to abolish the decree, he should have used his knowledge of Jewish law 
and his own logic to make a calculation. He has an important job with Pharaoh, the ruler of the world's greatest superpower. He is one of three senior advisors. Clearly, Pharaoh values his advice. If so, there is no reason for him to uselessly support a minority opinion and then flee to Midian, leaving Pharaoh and Bilam alone with Job remaining silent. This would mean totally abandoning the Israelites in Egypt. Then you can see how this logic would make him stay in and not leave. Because say, yeah, you can, you can scream your truth from the top of the roof and then run away, then we accomplished. Nothing, stay inside, be a part of the advisors, be a part of the, of, the, of, the, of the conversation, you will be able to influence them. Next time comes another question about the Jews, you can say, Pharaoh, it's enough. You can turn things around. From running away, nobody benefits. You might feel righteous, but nobody benefits. That's the, the logic that you can say in the other direction. Rabbi, you want to continue? Uh, in different terminology, you may want to remove yourself from anything that does not coincide with Torah's values in order to demonstrate your commitment to Torah. But that means you are willing to abandon the education of all Israelite girls in Egypt, the kosher food of all Israelites in Egypt, and the potential of alleviating their suffering just for your own honor, just to demonstrate how principled you are. Perhaps you should bend your principles for five minutes. It will make no practical difference. The majority opinion is against you either way. But by remaining on Pharaoh's good side, you will retain your post as senior advisor and you will be able to look out for Israelites from the inside. You know, it's reminding me that many times I have this discussion with people. You know, one of the, there are three things that you have to give your life. What are the three things? If someone tells you to kill someone else. Yes. Someone forced you to convert. Somebody forced you to convert to another religion, to Christianity, for example. Mm -hmm. You have to give your life for it. Then every time when I speak to people about it, they tell me, isn't it stupid? We would be better just to bow down one or do something, and then I can do many more mitzvahs, and I can help many more people. What, what, what benefit would be from me, uh, from the person be, uh, being killed? Wouldn't it be better that I can I can I can do I can I can do so many mitzvahs, so many good things for five minutes of bow down. You know what the third thing is? If somebody if somebody is forced to to um, to have, to commit adultery, can you can also say the same logic? Oh, for five minutes, then I'll be a good husband again. Then here is what the Rebbe is coming with, what he wants to bring out. Um, uh, Steve, you want to continue? Sure. But no matter how powerful this question may be, the Talmud doesn't see it that way. Jethro didn't need to think twice. He knew exactly what he was supposed to do. He knew that his would be a minority opinion and he would need to flee as he indeed did. But nevertheless, when Pharaoh asked for his opinion, he did what an upright human being does. He said the full truth without machinations. What about exchanging the life of the boys for the well-being of the girls? Jethro says that it's not for him. He is bound by his ethics. Being an upright person, he understood his duty as an advisor. Remaining silent wasn't an option, nor was playing games. Our sages said, do not measure the various mitzvahs of the Torah against each other. Likewise, they said, why is one person's blood redder, redder than another's? 
The baby boy's life is not worth more than the baby girl's. You have no right to negotiate with human lives. With all three options, Torah illuminates the way for us as Jews, as the verse says, mitzvot are our candle and Torah is our light. The only path that leads directly to the high court in Jerusalem and the only path that is seen favorably for all eternity is to follow Torah's statutes without regard to their popularity and without regard to your supposed impact. This mode of conduct brings about two results. Pharaoh and his cohorts lose their influence and the people of Israel leave exile triumphantly and moreover with great wealth. And what he wants to say is, you don't make calculations. You have to do the right thing. You do the right thing. Even you have to run away. Even you lose, you, you lose your influence. Even you can make a calculation. If evil state there will be a little better. Well, I'll try to convince him out of it. And something, somebody asks you what is right and what is wrong. You have to say it clear and loud. You have to stand up for the truth. You have to stand up for your morals. That's really the lesson of this whole, uh, this, this whole discussion. And, and what happens, people send up for their morals, but their morals sometimes are different from morals of other people. And then you kind of, um, <laughs> there, is, there is something to say about that. Just yeah, I'll think this is true. Everybody makes up his own morals. This is true. But Jethro and Bilam and, and, and Job, they knew what, they, what, they, what, right, what right from wrong. We don't blame them for things that they didn't know. They knew that, the, that killing the Jewish people is the wrong thing, and it's the wrong thing for Egypt too, wrong, wrong thing for the world. You know, there are certain morals that everybody knows right from, you know, right from wrong is very easy to know. Yeah, right from right is hard. You know, everybody knows right from wrong. Nobody can say, oh, I didn't know. You don't have to stay by a stop sign. I didn't know you're not allowed to kill. Can you imagine you come to court and you say, no, nobody ever told me not to kill. You go to jail, the church will send them to jail and tell them, okay, you have now 20 years to learn not to, why not to kill. That's not an excuse. Usually right from wrong, everybody knows. They might pretend that they don't know. They might make a face that they don't, but they know. They know the truth. And the, the, the hardest problem is to know right from right, what is more important this minute. But right from wrong is pretty easy to know. And even people who are fighting for their morals today, they know that's not moral what they're fighting for. Deep down, they know it's not, more, it's not moral. They might excuse this and, and, and uh, justify it, but they, they know the truth. But I think what the, the Rebbe gave this talk on, on Purim in uh, 1971, I think, yeah? Yeah, and it was, it was basically about, it was the question in Israel about who is a Jew? And, uh, and the, the answer is that to make a law that a Jew is somebody who was born to a Jewish mother or was converted by Jewish law. And the many, many members in the Knesset, in the parliament, were trying to excuse themselves to say, oh, I will, take, I will not take a side. Or I will say what the government wants to hear. I will say this way, this way. And the Rebbe, the Rebbe was giving them basically a lesson from from, the tree, from this story by Pharaoh, then if you want to lay down, if you, if, you, if you want to know the path to truth, to God, you have to stand up for the truth. Even if it's not, it's not comfortable, even if it's not, uh, even if you lose a lot, 
and it was one Knesset member that was voting uh, against the government and his own party threw him out. They told him clearly, will you be thrown out? 10 years later or more, maybe even 15 years later, yeah, 14, 15 years later, he, the, his own party asked him back to come back and he was the number one in the party, the leader of his party. And the Rebbe told him when he lost his job, the Rebbe told him, don't worry. You're just like a, like a runner, you know, when a runner, when an athlete starts running, he takes a step back forth, a few steps back, and then he starts running. So you're taking two steps back, but you, you will go much more, you, you will reach much, much further. You will eventually make it much, much further because you stand up for the truth. And when somebody stands up for the truth, eventually is being rewarded by God and by humans. But even he's not rewarded, that's the truth, that's the right thing to know. And as we see with Pharaoh, Pharaoh did it. He throw, he throw, that's the old Pasha. He threw the Jewish babies into the river, he enslaved the Jews. And then we're going to learn, then Moses is coming, and we're going to learn in the next few weeks, Parshas, that's going to be, the, now we're starting the book of Genesis, the book of Exodus. And this week, this Parsha, we read about the suffering, about the enslavement, about the throwing in the babies in the river. And next week, in the week after, we read, start to read about the 10 plagues, one plague after the other. 10 plagues, by the time the Jews left Egypt, there was nothing, it was a Egypt. The country stood, but it was a poor, broken, destroyed country. Still a powerful country, but nothing close to what they before they, before they started to enslave the Jews. And then in, in essence, they paid, they paid for the evil decision that they made. And every country, or this kind, this, 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 this kind of thing to the Jewish people, went down from the, from the uh, stage of history, and you don't hear them. Look Spain today, a poor country. They're trying to bring Jews back to, to Spain. They're offering um, um, citizenship to every Jew can prove that he is, is, is a descendant from Spanish, uh, Spanish Jews. And they gave a lot of people, a lot of Jews gathered their citizenship. I don't know what is a Jew from Israel for many roles will do with this leadership, with the citizenship, but they gave it to a lot of people. The same thing happened to England. You know, the first country who expelled Jews from, from their country, the first country who invented the idea of expelling Jews in the more modern history is England. Look, Egypt did not want to expel the Jews. They wanted to keep the Jews by them enslaved. They wanted to keep the women there. They wanted to enslave them. They wanted to, to throw them out. God forced them to let the Jews out of Egypt. The first one to do it, what they mean to say is, in the end of the final analysis is what the Rebbe wants to say is, is to teach people to stand up for their, for their beliefs, not to be afraid, not to try to please your boss. If you see something wrong is happening, stand up, even you, even you might be, you, you might pay a price for it. Because if this is the right thing to do, you better have some backbone. That's what the whole class is all about. Rabbi? Yeah? Did, did Jethro believe that his life was in danger and that's why he really left? Because God granted him great things later. You know, he became a, yeah. a trusted yeah. advisor to Moses and set up the court system and, and his daughter was married. I mean, these great things happen, which may or may not have happened. Other things could have happened. But, but he must have feared his life, either against Bill or against Pharaoh, for having taken the stand. 
That's why he was he filled his life and he had to run away from Egypt. Yeah, so, yeah, so 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 sometimes in that case it might be defensible that he actually had to physically leave. What in defensible? We are not attacking Jethro. We say that Jethro did the right thing. Right, okay. So leaving has its merits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did the right thing. He stood up, he said what he believes, even if he had to run away, even that he put his life in danger. That's the whole point. The whole, the whole discussion is to say that what Jethro did was right. And what Bilam did and what the, uh, uh, Job did is the wrong things. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jethro, because he had to run away, because, you know, by Saddam Hussein, even just the other day, there's in the news, there is a famous rich um, Chinese. You, see, you read about it? That he showed, he disappeared. We don't see him on the news since he had the chutzpah to criticize one word. He said one line against the, the Chinese government. Hmm. That's it. Just, the last time the from him was in November or in October. I just read yesterday in the news. He's gone. He was, one, I think, the richest man in, uh, in, in, uh, in China, one of the richest men. Wow. He donated 2,000 uh, ventilators to New York State in the beginning of the, of the, of the uh, pandemic. And America praised them, praised, and then he said something against the, Russian, the, the Chinese government, he was gone. Hmm. In a, in a di- dictatorship, if you give opinions that you know they're against the agenda, <laughs> This is it. Jethro was lucky that he was able to run away. Usually you're not even able to run away. Yeah. That's one of the explanations why Moses ran away when he had to run away from Egypt. Why run away to Midian? He basically was aiming towards Jethro. Because Jethro ran away. Is it that he was aiming towards Jethro or was Jethro, by God, put there for him to go to? Because didn't we talk about a while back where God plans everything? So God planned for this. You're right. You're right. He was for sure. He ran. Why run away to Midian? Obviously, Midian was a place that you can run away from Egypt. Right? And could be that Moses knew about the Jethro story. And maybe he was looking for refuge there by a guy who, feel, who knows his feeling. Or, he, or, or in general, he knew that Jethro ran away to Midian and he's safe. He is now running away. He was wanted by the Egyptian government. He was running away. So he, was leading the, he was leading the path for Moses to come find yes. him to yes. then fulfill his destiny. Yes, yes, yes. That's why both of them had helped each other to fulfill their destiny. And that the Jethro's daughter showed up by the water. And, and Moses met him, it was like one thing led to the other. I don't know if, Jethro, if Moses ran away to Jethro, but he was for sure, if he knew about the Jethro story, he knew where to run away. But uh, uh, <clears throat> a little bit uh, aside from that, um, picking your battle still stands, right? Because you cannot always win every argument. So it really, you know, sometimes you have to pick your battles. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. You have to pick your battles. For example, with your wife, don't fight. <laughs> no battle. Yeah, so battle. Pick your work, battles work, and yeah. don't have any one of them. That's one. But in, yeah. uh, I'll tell you, the, the point is you have to know what is real. We're we talking about life and death. 
We are talking about something that can save human lives. We can talk about the, uh, st- strong points like uh, in Judaism. I'll tell you something. Let's say we have a fight with our children about Jewish things. They don't want to be fighting night. They don't want to keep going, keep at the show. You don't want to do this. And we say to ourselves, they come about this. Let's not fight with the kids every day. Eventually, the fight will be worse. You understand? I'll say, I'll let my kids not go and keep at the show. I'll let them this. I'll let them this. Then will come the question, they want to marry somebody. And you don't want them because he's not Jewish or she's not Jewish. And then you have to fight. And sometimes pick your battles means starting the small fights. You'll never come to the big fight. When people say pick, I have to pick my battles, that's also a, a pet towards giving in and giving in and, and eventually you give in to, to the wrong things too. That's a problem. Same thing with your boss. Pick your battles, you know, he insulted one of my co-workers. I'm not going to say anything. I'll say when something bad comes, and then you get used, he gets used to, to be a bigger abuser and a bigger abuser and a bigger abuser. It's a very, I, I, I must say, yeah, this is not a black and white discussion. What is right and what is wrong? What I mean to say is, pick your battles is one of the ways, that's what Jethro could say, pick my battles. Well, anyway, I'm not going to make a difference, right? Anyway, Pharaoh has a majority with his side. Anyway, Jero is going to enslave the Jewish people and, and throw the babies in the river. What's the point for me standing up? That's exactly what our nature tells us every time. Especially people don't like confrontations. I know. I also, nobody likes to, to fight in the whole world. And to be the Michigan of town is fighting in the whole world. But uh, I can tell you this. My father stood up always for the, for the underdog. And always, and he was, and I grew up, I thought my father is a little crazy. He was fighting, he, he, he stood up for everyone. And he couldn't care less what people say about him. Not at all. That's why he survived the gulags, because he didn't care less what everybody said. This is right, and there is right from wrong, and finished. And he didn't have too many friends, I must tell you. <laughs> the people respected him, but they wanted his friends, because it was not easy to be my father's friend. There is right, and there is wrong, and a good job is finished. And he was the only one I remember when I grew up in our synagogue. He was the only one who stood up for the right thing. And every week was a fight about something. And he couldn't care less. And he didn't hold any grudges to anyone and nothing. But when, but when, when, he, but when he, 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 he believed that there is right and wrong, he was used to be people that every, you know, in every community there is somebody that everybody makes fun of him. He's like the sugar of town. My father stood up for him every time, even if it was not popular. And I was like angry with him. Why are you standing up for him? What? This Meshuggah gets himself in all the troubles on his own. Nobody falls the same. Simcha spectacular, 50% oh, sorry. <laughs> Someone messaged me. I thought I ended up and I didn't. Then uh, what I mean to say is it's very, it's very hard to stand up for the right. For the right thing. Very, very hard. I don't demand it from you because I don't know myself if I can stand up for it. But that, for the non-unpopular things. But you should know it is the usually the rule. When everybody gangs up on somebody and everybody together, usually it's the wrong things. It's the wrong thing to do. And everybody gets excited of embarrassing somebody, screaming at somebody, oh yo, 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 yo. 
This excitement comes from the evil inclination. Remember that. I saw it too many times. Oh, every, suddenly everybody becomes righteous. Suddenly everybody cares. And they, how dare you do that? Everybody's bullying him on Facebook. Do, 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 do. Usually, it comes on the evil inclination that once you enjoy to skim on somebody and it's a, and, and the political, it's like the, um, uh, it's the right thing to do. It's political correct and this and everybody's skimming. Ay, ay, ay. Take a step back and think really, if all of these people do it because they are so holy and care so much for the right, then standing up for the one who's being bullied, for the one who is not popular, is always very hard. Very, very hard. And I, I said myself, I think to myself, my father, God bless them, he should rest in peace. But my opinion was a sugar now. But he, he, he lived, and that's why he survived everything. He was in jail for six, six, six years and three months, and he never uh, walked on Shabbat. Never, he only ate kosher. Only kosher means to eat the bread and water. And he suffered for it unbelievably. And he came out as a complete Jew. And, he's, and, he, and but he, even in Israel, he never changed his personality. When he saw something is wrong, he stood up and he screamed about it. And he couldn't care less what anybody else would say. And he was never popular. And he was never the cool guy in town to be to hang around them. Yes, never, never, ever, ever. But that was his belief. No, no. I'm like my father. No. What do they mean to say is, this is the, we, we cannot be righteous every day of the year. We need to understand. When we learn a lesson, it does mean, oh, I'm going to change. I cannot do it. But once upon a time, we'll have one same event. For when time to time you see something is wrong, stand up. That's a, that's the message. My friend giving speeches is hard. Doing it is um, easy. Doing it is very hard. That's what my wife tells me every time. You give such good uh, speeches. How about start to, start to pack the sum of it? <laughs> then, uh, then as everybody tells me, oh, it was great. It was day. Miriam puts me right there in the right uh, place where, where, where I belong. <laughs> then that's the point. We learn something. We can date a lesson. And one day we can use it. Thank you for joining. It was very nice to have you. And we will uh, see you next Sunday, the same time, the same place. Thank you, Rabbi. Have, have a good week, Rabbi. Thank you. We have a lot from your father. Good for you. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi.